are up until Christmas looking at a new series called Words to Live By, the story of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I am, and I'm a pastor, so I get excited about things that maybe not everybody gets excited about, but I, this, is a, this is a great part of the Bible. This is something I'm really excited about. Maybe, and, and I kind of want to project on you, you should be excited about this, but maybe when you stop to think about it, you're thinking, this is a sermon. Just think about what's, ha- what's happening in this moment and what's going to be happening for the next few weeks. This is a sermon about a guy giving a sermon. This is a ser- you know, this, there's one reason to be bored. There's a guy giving a sermon. This is a sermon about a guy giving a sermon. That's not one reason to be excited, Ash. That's two reasons to be bored. Okay, so I'm going to give you off the bat, I really want you to stay with it up to Christmas. I want you to maybe try and give it a go in your Bibles. It's a great part of the Bible. The first reason I think we should be excited about this is because history demands that we look at it. History demands that we look at it. Is that too bold of a statement? This is Jesus, the guy who sets our calendars, who inspires our greatest festivals, our biggest festivals, who most shapes our human thinking. You can probably argue the toss about that. There's probably Plato and Aristotle and a few others who might say that it's them. But he, I would say, is the most shaping of human thinking. Human being that has most shaped human thought. These are his core values. We call it a sermon, but it's a sermon that was repeated over and over again. It's sort of a collated collection of Jesus' sayings. If you're in the position where where you're like, you want to rule Jesus out. And Jesus' claims are so big, and his influence is so big, you really should. And you you know, this is a few chapters of a book. This is a reason you should be excited about that. If you are a Christian, if these are values that you hold already, man, then you should be all over this. This should be your food and drink. This is our guy. This is what we believe. This is what convicts us. So that's one reason. The second reason we should think about it, and I'm going to ask uh, the team if they can just pop the text up, is because it's about being blessed. Matthew 5. I wonder if we could have that on the screen. The first word of the Sermon on the Mount is what? Blessed. We all want to be blessed, don't we? That's what the story, this is, what, this is one of the things I'm going to present to you. This is what the story of the Sermon on the Mount is all about the idea that we can be blessed. One of the things I would say right off the bat about the idea of being blessed is it's one of those words that's lost its depth of meaning a little bit over time. And this happens in the English vernacular, English language. There you go, vernacular. Have that, have a bit of that. My mate said to me, legend is one of the words that's lost its depth of meaning. Awesome is another one, but legend is definitely one. I met my mate last Thursday to watch my lad play rugby. We had a pint. And I bought him a bag of beef and onion crisps. And I wandered over, and he was so impressed with my selection of crisps. His response was, legend. Legend. Legend is the stuff of myth. Arthurian legend. Somebody that can pull a sword out of a stone. Amazing stories. And yet, it's just become representative of a guy who picks a half-decent bag of crisps. The idea of being blessed is almost taken to mean... I think in our modern consciousness and modern vernacular, when things align pretty well for a short period of time. Hashtag blessed is everywhere. I was on social media feed just the other day, and one of my old friends from school, on the back of a pretty rowdy-looking hen night, some photographs, she captured it. 
I don't need to give any details away about this. Where am I going with this? There was a picture of some towels and some chocolates, and the underscore was hashtag blessed. Like, and I think there is blessing in that. There is blessing in, in having a nice hotel room with some nicely laid out towels and being on a nice holiday. But that is just a glimpse, isn't it, of what it means to be blessed? Just like a tiny bit of what it means to be blessed. Is it possible in recent times that our idea of blessing has gotten a bit shallow, a bit self-oriented, a bit superficial, a bit temporary? Look at how Jesus, now just observe this text, just soak this in. I don't know if you've spent much time on the start of the Sermon on the Mount. Look at how big it is for Jesus. Look at how different it is for Jesus. Let me just read it through uh, with you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So just as we go through it, maybe just try and fathom out what Jesus is getting at here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those, best blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is blessing? Blessing, happiness, contentment, purpose. Blessing, I think Jesus says, is what you experience when you recognize that this world, this life that you have, has a purpose. Has a purpose at the end of it. And at the end of that purpose of this life, and at the start of it, there is a God who is working out his purposes. There is a God at the start, there's a God at the end, and there's God working out his purposes all the way through it. And in light of that is how you live. That's what Jesus says blessing is. So, verse 3 and 4, cast your eye over them. Complete, now get your head around what Jesus is saying here. Complete brokenness. Verses 3 and 4. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Complete brokenness might be might be the best thing that ever happens to you. Might be the best thing that ever happens to you if, and it's often the case that this is what happens, if it means that you look up. If it means that you look up and ask the big questions of life. If it means that you look up and find God. If it means that in those moments you ache in the absence of God, then you're blessed. Do you see how different it is? Do you see how upside down it is? Uh, verse five, you're blessed, the meek person is blessed. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So when you read meek, I go straight to weak. I think perhaps because it rhymes, but perhaps that's because of what we've done with the word. That's not what meek means. Meek is somebody who is really quite strong, strong enough to carry the burdens of other people, strong enough to be gentle. But often the meek person, what happens with the meek person is they're overlooked, and in this lifetime, often at the bottom of the pile, but they are blessed. What does the passage say? They will inherit the earth. The meek person is blessed because they get it. They get it literally. They get it in the future, but they get it. They're blessed because they get it. Do you see how Jesus describes blessed? Do you see how much upside down, how different, how much bigger, how much broader, how much richer, how much better it actually is? 
Um, one of the commentators that I read as I got into this um, described the idea of blessing, and I really want us to get what this is, as the idea of flourishing. Blessing is when we flourish. Flourish despite the circumstances that we're in. So I think Psalm 1 is the best part of the whole big Bible for us to understand what blessing is. In terms of, and I work better with pictures, in terms of having a picture in your head about what, what it means to be blessed, just imagine this tree that the psalmist is talking about here. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners stand, take, or sit in the company of mockers. So it's verse 2 and 3 that I'm driving at. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prospers. Do you have a picture of that tree? Do you see what Jesus is, is driving at? The sun's scorching out the sky. All the trees that are around about are withering, and yet there's a tree that endures in difficult circumstances. When, when, when the rain falls, its leaf blossoms, it's got fruit. But when the sun scorches it, when circumstances are really bad, this is a blessed tree. It's, it's connected with its roots. Blessing, so the psalmist says, I think, is not just someone who knows the law. It's not just someone who knows the law. It's someone who knows the heart of the law. It's someone who sees what God was saying in all those books and understands the heart of it. And it's somebody who has that heart in their own heart as well. And there's this beautiful picture of the tree that survives. You can almost picture the roots going down to the stream. The person who is blessed is somebody who doesn't just understand the law, but he is connected with it. He gets it. And so, he flourishes. So when we get to the story of the Sermon on the Mount, the whole build-up of the Old Testament has been about these people who should be flourishing. Jesus comes looking for these kind of trees in his people. This is what he's looking for. He's looking for people who can, who've got the heart of the law within them. He's looking for people who, are, who provide fruit. And we read in Luke's gospel that all he finds actually are dead trees. Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount to people who are like dead trees. People who can tell you the law. This is Israel. They know it verbatim. They can argue the toss of the law. They're happy to do that. They'll even keep each other by it. But they've lost the heart of the law. The Sermon of the Mount is Jesus' word to those people. It's Jesus coming and saying, you need to see the heart of this. What does Jesus say? I have come that you might limp along. I have come that you might know the law really, really well. He says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. This is what he comes and brings to these people. So it's a beautiful story is the Sermon on the Mount. We have in the Old Testament, so it's whenever Jesus goes up a mountain in the Bible, in the storyline of, of the Bible, whenever God goes up a mountain, we've got to listen. So when Moses goes up the Bible, goes up the Bible, when Moses goes up the mountain in Mount Sinai, <laughs> that got you, didn't it, Jude? When, when Moses went up Mount Sinai, the people were, saw God at the top of the mountain and said, we can't go up there. Moses comes down with the do's and the don'ts, doesn't he? Everyone's terrified. God's still a bit of a mystery. Jesus goes up the mountain. What happens? The people can follow. The people go with him. It's not a load of do's and don'ts. 
It's this is the heart of it. This is how you do it. If you're, if you're ruling Christianity out and you're looking at people going, it's just about do's and don'ts. It's just about legalistic people. You have got to hear these words of Jesus. If you're limping along and Christianity is to use become a bit of a box ticking thing, you've got to listen to these words of Jesus. So I'm just going to take one little passage. You saw it there. It's in Matthew chapter 6. It's just about giving. And I'll be really honest with you. It's horrible when this happens, and it happens more often than not when you're preaching. I was scorched by it. It got me again because it's all for me. You can take what you want, but it's definitely for the preacher is this one, giving. And anyone that knows me and my family can tell you that it's true. So let's just read this stuff out together. Gorgeous advice from Jesus. It's the heart of the law. It's what God said on Mount Sinai, explained with heart, so that we can get it and we can have a relationship with him. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you'll get no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But, and this is a good but, normally the buts aren't good, this is a good but or a challenging but, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know, what is Jesus saying here? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving might be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will, re will reward you. So I'm going to offload a few confessions about my giving just for a second. It's not, don't worry, it's not, too, it's not too big of a deal. Just some general <laughs> confessions because I want you to see, see what Jesus is saying I think the first thing I want us to take from this passage is be careful when you do good to watch your motivation. This little, the start of this little passage, Matthew chapter 6, this prayer and this fasting and this giving, this, like this acknowledgement that good stuff happens. And Jesus says in his sermon in all of them, yeah, I see that you're going to do good stuff. Watch your motivation in the good stuff. Watch your motivation. So I'm going to share some of my giving experiences because I want you to see how much the heart is at play. So this, this first one happened fairly recently. It's when the person comes to the door, or almost always a really nice person, almost always got really good chat, almost always got a really good cause, and I am rubbish when caught out. I'm not very good in confrontation. I don't really know how to do it, and I'm not the sharpest tool if I'm distracted by the TV and I'm coming to the door. So I had this moment where this person comes with this really awesome cause, really super cause, and I've signed up before I've really even realized what's happened. Two pound a month, it's not anything, is it? But halfway through, as the penny dropped for me, as I realized what had happened, I hated this lovely looking woman in front of me. Hate, I had hatred for her. And I had hatred. I did. I was like, she's caught me out. I can't believe she's caught me out. It was awful. And I hated the charity that she stood for. I got to this point where I was just like furious. My heart. I'd done the really nice thing. I'd given the two quid. I was corrupted inside, totally corrupted by it. Have you ever done this where you've given really thoughtfully? Done this a few times, did a few Christmas presents last year, really like put my heart and soul into it. Person didn't say thank you. I was like, well, I wish I hadn't bothered. I went, like, I thought about it for months and months and months, loved the person to bits, give them the gift, and they're like, I just, I might not as well have bothered. I get it really bad when I'm in the car and I let somebody out. I give them the right of way and then they don't thank me. And I go, well, I'm just, next time, I just, I won't, you know, I just, I, my insides are, you know, made really clear. I can be, 
think about this with giving. There's this, it's TV appeal season coming up. I can see the most impassioned, teary-eyed appeal. Nothing. Nothing can happen inside me. But this, this last one might just be my saving grace as the pastor of the church. I can see somebody across the street, and I can be the biggest softy in the world, and I can't have any money in my pockets, and I'll just go, right, I'm just going to help this person out when I don't have means. See, with giving, a good thing, a good thing, our motivation, your motivation, my motivation, is seen. Our motivation is, even in a good thing, corruptible, and our hearts are seen really clearly. That's the first thing I think Jesus says in verse 1. Be careful when you do good to watch your motivation. Second thing that he says, and this was the killer, another killer for me, it's possible... What do you get from verse 2? It's possible for your giving to be worthless. It's possible for you to do the really good thing. Oh my word, are you kidding? It's possible for your giving to be worthless. This is a really, Jesus is making a really great cultural observation about what's going on at the times in Jerusalem. I don't know if you've heard the expression blowing your own trumpet or you know somebody who blows their own trumpet. This is, I think, an origin story for that story that we have, the idea that you would blow your own trumpets. People would literally, in the ancient Near East, would blow a trumpet when there was a good cause. The trumpet would be blown, and somebody would rock up as the trumpet's playing, walk down the street and go, I will give to this good cause. That's, that's what Jesus is referencing. And Jesus says, he uses the word hypocrites, but he's taking, the word hypocrite is translated from a theatrical term. It really means performers. Jesus is saying, this is just a performance. I see that it's just a performance. I can see it. And your reward, see what Jesus says about the reward? You've got your reward in full. Somebody claps, somebody smiles, somebody says, oh, you've done a good thing. Even no matter how much money you've given, that's your reward in full. That's the first thing Jesus says. And the second thing that I think he says is God sees straight through our giving. Before he sees anything else, before he sees any of the coins or anything that we've done, he sees the heart of the giver. What it brings to my mind, what it brought to my mind was, um, do you know you get these big, big corporations, big companies, might be banks, might be fuel providers, that sort of thing, who have these adverts that tell you what they're giving. We're going to give you this stuff. We're going to give you, we're going to give back to the environment. We're going to plant some trees. We're going to give you this and that. And initially, like, that's so awesome. And then as you knock back your cup of tea, you think, hang on a minute. These guys are caning it in. These guys are raking it in. As you start to sort of see it, you think, actually, I know that behind the scenes, at one point, there was an office planning meeting where they talked about strategy, and somebody in a suit said, we've really got to look a little bit better to the public. We've got to, you know, we've, we've, got, we've got to have a bit of a strategy. We've got to give something back. We've got to at least do a little bit, be seen to be doing a bit of that. And the sort of coldness of it drops. And we see that probably they're not really giving much back, really. We kind of see through it. God sees our giving like that. That's what Jesus says. God sees it like that. And as I sort of want to just harangue the big companies, I think the message, the way that Jesus teaches it, is it so it's one of those drip down analogies so that you condemn the trumpeteers, as it were, and then you start to think, and I start to think and reflect on my own misgivings and errors when it comes to giving. It's possible for your giving to be worthless. But the last thing that Jesus says, the last point that he gives us is that it is possible 
get this. And I don't know if you believe it. I believe it. It's possible for your giving to be invaluable. It's possible that you can give in a way that becomes priceless. What does Jesus say? When you give to the needy, and just even if you want to hold out your own hands in front of you to see whether this is possible, what's Jesus doing? Don't let one hand know what the other hand is doing. So I, because I'm a clever lad, I tried to see if this was possible, and it's not possible. Jesus, if you're ever, if you're ever, yes, yeah, worth a laugh. If you're ever wondering, it, you can't do it. They both know what they're doing. Jesus, so you make the argument, does Jesus use hyperboil? And in this instance, I go, yes, he does. He's making a point. He's not telling us to try and trick our hands. He's saying, I want your giving to be as, your giving needs to be as innocent as is possible. Your giving needs to be as egoless as is possible. You need to give without ego and with heart and genuine care. And then Jesus says, then the gift becomes priceless. Then it becomes invaluable. What I would say about that, as, you, as that's sort of sinking into your consciousness, I would say, I think we kind of know some of the truth of that. I reckon lots of us have given gifts that's cost lots of money with little heart, didn't really go anywhere. Other times, we've seen the person, we've given with real heart, genuine care, and that gift has gone miles and miles and miles and miles. I was listening to a radio show a bit back about... Um, Homeless guy, and he was challenged to ask, what could end the homeless crisis in Leeds? What really changes things for you? And he said, see, when people are genuine, see, when people give me something and I can tell that it's genuine, it just gives me an incredible lift. Genuine, th I think we know it. We know the extent of genuine care. But this passage, I think, goes beyond that, bigger than that. We know the extent of that. This passage, I think, gets us to think this is a moment of heaven on earth. This is a moment when we give like that, when we give with heart, when we give expecting nothing back, when we give without ego, it becomes a glimpse of heaven on earth. And do you see what happens to God? This is how big that it gets. What happens to God in verse 4? So that you give him maybe in secret, then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. In our giving, if you can believe it, we stir the creator God to act. We stir the creator God to act. It's possible for our giving to be invaluable. Can you imagine a world, I'll just try for a second, imagine a world where we all gave like that, or just a few of us gave like that. If our giving was always, it, it, like, think about this if you're trying to dismiss, you know, what I'm saying altogether. Imagine just for a second that we stopped giving with big dollar, we just always gave with heart. Imagine if just a few people did it feels like it's really important that we get the right person in number 10 at the moment, doesn't it? Rishi, who knows about the figures, perhaps. Tell you what, if we could give, if we could give like Jesus asked us to give, I don't think we'd need to worry about a fiscal plan, honestly. Might sound, you might think that sounds crackers. It's, almost, it's a little bit you know, revolutionist, isn't it? But I don't think that we would if we could give like that. Here's the thing. And I don't know how far you've got with it. I don't know if you're on board. But there's not a whole heap of traffic heading us that way. If you've ever stopped, try and give with all your heart. Give genuinely. Give as Jesus has taught us to give. There's not a whole heap of people pulling us in that direction. The times that we live in demand that we blow our own trumpets. I think I can blame anybody for needing to blow their own trumpets. Just to get a job, you've got to blow your own trumpet. 
our culture is soaked in the need for immediate rewards. Even our good acts are always said, if you do that, you get this. Our social media are filled with it. Our egos in 2022, we are so pumped up. And I'm not sort of blaming anybody. This is the culture that we live in. Our egos are so fed, so blown up. It's, it's so hard for us to give with one hand without the other hand knowing what's happening. We are so time poor. We're so often, when we have to give, caught out like me on the door and just give sort of passively or give because we feel it's the right thing to do. The idea that meekness, humility, and lowliness is the way to be blessed is kind of rubbished. It's hard for us to find anything, I think, that would take us in that direction. Whether you say we need to go in that direction or not, except I would say, and this is, this is why I believe in the gospel message, this is why I, it directs my life, accept Jesus. That's what I'd say, accept Jesus. Jesus came, and I'll make this a, a quick argument, but I'd like you to just let it flow over you. Jesus came and he gives, and he gave with genuine heart and care. It was 100% genuine. He gave expecting nothing back. And he gave, and he gave, and he gave, and he gave until it cost him his life. Now, why should we follow that? Because when it cost him his life, beautiful verse in the Bible that talks about Jesus as being the first fruits. When it cost him his life, that's when it really started. When people saw that kind of giving, they were moved, and the fruit, first fruits, shot up. The church was born. People moved with heart and with soul and with genuine care. Outside of Jesus, genuine care is crazy impossible. But in light of Jesus, genuine care is the only way to go.